Welcome or welcome back to the company of the cats. Hi, how are you? So myths about the dark depths today. The thought process in this video is very similar to the one in the Garth and the Rose videos. I'm trying to develop theories in the realm of possibilities based on what we already know about magic in this universe. Because we're already in the fifth book, and I think that we do know the basics. We just don't have the correct order of self, and we miss some pieces here and there. We have quite a lot of merfolk in legends around planetos. We see merlings, deep ones, selkies, squishers, and walrusmen. But the thing is that unlike the other races we have, they seem to be the most diverse. What I mean by that is that the children of the forest have the same description as the woodworkers in Essos, even though they do not have the same name. We read the description and we all said, oh, children of the forest. The others too. Most stories are similar all around Westeros, called Bright Blue Eyes and Death. Giants and unicorns too. The merfolk though aren't like that. The Merling legends talk about aquatic creatures with the upper body of a human and the tail of a fish. The Deep Ones were a hybrid race, according to Maester Theron, a queer misshapen race of half-men, sired by creatures of the salt seas upon human women. We learned about the squishers from Dick. They appear human, but their heads are larger than those of men, and they have scales instead of hair. They have webbed fingers and toes, and green needle-like teeth, as well as a belly white like that of a fish. Their names come from the squish-squish sound they make as they move. Owen Oakenshield is said to have conquered the Shield Islands for the first men by driving Merlis and Selkies back into the sea. Some claim the maze-makers of Lorath were destroyed by merfolk, such as Merlings, Walrusmen, and Selkies. And the Winged Knight is said to have been friends with Merlings. We also have fishy people in Northern Sothorios and in 1000 Islands. Another weird thing is that Leaf, while talking to Bran, said that was in the dawn of days, when our sun was rising. Now it sinks and this is our long dwindling. The giants are almost gone as well, they who were our bane and our brothers. The great lions of the western hills have been slain, the unicorns are all but gone, the mammoths down to few hundred. The direwolves will outlast us all, but their time will come as well. In the world that men have made, there is no room for them. Or us. If there was another race or creature, wouldn't she say anything about it? Are they doing okay? Or are they gone? Or are almost gone? What is going on? If they were such a widespread race and created constructs and they were so close to humans as legends claim, wouldn't she say something about them? She mentioned most legendary and extinct creatures and she didn't include them? Seems very unlikely something else is going on. Martin tends to use specific words to invoke specific images and he does the same with sounds too. He always does this. Horns, stuff falling, walking. He generally puts the audio effects on paper. And one of these sound effects words is the word squish, which he uses when he wants to describe wet sounds. The first time we see it is when Arya throws food at Sansa in A Game of Thrones. It caught her in the middle of the forehead with a wet squish and plopped down into her lap. Of course we saw it when we got the story about the squishers. They're always damp and fishy smelling, but behind these blubbery lips they got rows of green teeth sharp as needles. Some say the first men killed them all, but don't you believe it? They come by night and still but little children, padding along on them webbed feet with a little squish-squish sound. The girls they keep to breed with, but the boys they eat, tearing at them with those sharp green teeth. Every other time it is used is when people are stepping on something wet, walking on slash or on mud, stepping on wet ground or wearing wet shoes. We even see it describing Meribald's footsteps in another Brienne chapter. So it's not necessary to have webbed toes for someone to make this sound. Now the teeth 
also don't say a lot because we have seen it in two different cultures. Both the people from the Thousand Islands and the cave dwellers in the Frostfangs filed their teeth. Additionally, the Thousand Isles folk have a greenish tinge in their skin, while the cave dwellers paint their faces green, blue, and purple. In the Thousand Islands, we know they worship fish-headed gods and make sacrifices to them, and the cave dwellers worship dark underground gods, and we know deep down into the earth there is water, a sunless sea. In Northern Sothorius too, we have the same story. There are ruins of an ancient civilization on the Isle of Toads, and the modern inhabitants are believed to descend from those who carved the toadstone. They are described as having an unpleasant fish-like aspect to their faces, and many have webbed hands and feet. And the deep ones too sound like hybrids, because to me, all these seem human, or at least part human. They don't sound like a different race, and I really believe that if there was a race like this, Leaf would have said something when she was talking to Bran. But if they don't belong to a different race, what is going on? First of all, we cannot be 100% sure which parts are exaggerations and which are not. Stories with time tend to get more and more magical, so there is always the possibility many of these things are heavily embellished. Since apart from the mark that the Borels have and the resurrections of Pat's face and Daron, we don't really have proof of anything. We are told that some people filed their teeth, so the needle-like teeth could easily be something like this. The green skin, again, is a story from sailors. For all we know, it was paint, tattoos or whatever. Since they are not friendly and Corlys reach the isles and turn around. He's pretty much our only source and he could have easily been repeating what he heard from the Ibanese or what they saw from the source because from what I get at least, they didn't stay there. The scales instead of hair could be some kind of headgear or tattoos on shaved heads and this is only mentioned in Dick's legend, so again, not a reliable a source. The only thing we know with certainty is true, at least appearance-wise, is about the membranes. And again, we do not know whether everyone had it or if it was between all their fingers, because they often appear in the Borel line, but not in everyone. And again, in Sothorios, we are told that a lot of people have them, but not all of them. The first time I was talking with my sister about the squeezers, I said that all this sound like an Ironborn raid, and she agreed. And also pointed out that wet boots make squish squish all the time in the novels. They come when still dark from the sea, they kill the boys and take the girls to breed with. The Ironborn spill blood on the moon, so obviously the moon is visible on the water since they attack at dawn. They take salt wives and they are brutal warriors. People from the Dawn Age believe that the Ironborn were demons from watery hells, and the squishers are pretty much the same. I have said in previous videos that it seems like the Ironborn culture changed at some point significantly. It looks like they had a pre-hammer and an after-hammer culture, because we can see that Pike and the Seastone Chair were there before the sea level rise. And I think that Victorian story and character support this theory too. He's a devout follower of the Drowned God, but he's starting to shift his beliefs a little bit because he met Mokoro. Two gods are with him now. I will not talk a lot about it here, I have three videos on the Ironborn where I explain pretty much everything. Now, before the hammer, they definitely were seafarers living on the western coast, and from the chair I can guess that the Roji religion was very fishy and we are told that they had necromancers and that they were meddling with magic in general, so maybe they also did stuff like filing their teeth or had somewhat different clothing, maybe war paint, tattoos, because the other people we know with fishy slimy stone stuff is the Toad Isle in Sothorios, and the people there are also described as fishy. Now, after the hammer, the people in the coastal areas had it hard, because they lost land and were also hit by tsunamis, 
So it makes sense for them to start raiding and moving around to find resources and maybe a better place to move to. Similarly to the real world sea peoples, who were a seafaring confederation that attacked ancient regions in the eastern Mediterranean during the late Bronze Age collapse. Now put that situation in a universe where the inland inhabitants didn't have a close relationship to the sea, and people in the narrow sea didn't know about the western coastal people since the arm didn't allow passage. The arm of Dorn broke, and not only did they have natural catastrophes to deal with, some random people also showed up and started to rave and pillage their towns. Because the word squeezers is used only by the Westerosi in the Narrow Sea. They obviously thought of them as demons from the sea, since they had no idea who the hell these people were. And if they had distinct physical traits that they've now lost, because with the number of salt wives they took and in their bread with, their appearance has probably changed by now. Or had different traditions, like teeth filing and different clothing, it stands to reason that the rest of the people would think of these proto-ironborn as non-humans. Add extra points if they used magic, which I'm guessing was the case, and the fact that most myths and legends get awfully exaggerated with time. According to Dick, they were not in the sea, but close to it. They were forced to come amongst some rocks, 50 yards above the tide line. A place like this, there might be squishers. He also said that they didn't ride horses, something that is pointed out quite a lot about the Ironborn too. He's no squisher, that's bloody certain, their sort don't ride horses. And obviously they don't die easily either, we are told that they are very good and brutal fighters. The people from the sea in Lorath could also have been raiding Ironborn. The Isles got hit hard by the sea rise. It seems as if the area wasn't even a batch of islands, originally, but a uniform area. So if people started to rave there too, something very common in real life also, the original inhabitants eventually just vanished. Lorath is very close to the Vale. And in the Vale, we do have people with finger webs, and unlike other areas in Westeros, the Winked Knight there was friendly with giants, children of the forest, and merlings. So I am guessing they let people stay in the islands around the Vale just fine and had a decent relationship with the other inhabitants. In the Ridge, where also we hear about merlings, we are told that the Oaken Shield drove them out of the Shield Islands. So we are definitely talking about humans, because if the merlings were living in the sea, they wouldn't have a reason to fight with them, and it wouldn't be that easy either, but if they both wanted the same space, similar to what happened with the Children of the Forest and the Giants, then it makes sense. It also explains why the people in the Three Sisters had pirate kings and cast darves into the sea as an offering to the gods. They were also pirates and raiders who sent longships into the Bight, the Narrow Sea and the Severing Sea to rave and capture slaves. Plus they held their own against the seafaring adults for quite a lot of time. The Selkis and the Walrusmen, to me at least, sound like skin changers. We also hear that some Ironborn houses, like the Farwinds, have the reputation of being skin changers and their main seat in Great Wick has the name Sealskin. And I hear you people saying, okay, Miss Cat, but still, even if some traits like the teeth were customary, they still have some other traits. What about this? Before the answer to that, I want to say that water magic, salty or not, is part of the nature magic that the children of the forest do. Not only water is a fundamental natural element, but we are also told that the children believed in the gods of forest, stream, and stone. That Howland could breathe mud and run on leaves and change air to water and water to earth, with no more than a whispered word. Mira and Jojen swore by earth and water, bronze and iron, ice and fire. The Roinish water witches knew secret spells that made dry streams flow again and deserts blue. And the skin changers could also shift into any animal they wanted, water animal included. 
and the children of the forest used the hammer of the waters to make the sea rise. And under all these weirwoods in Brand's cave, we are told that there is a deep, dark sea, like the wells in the roots of Yggdrasil. So water magic is just nature magic, and it makes sense. No water, no nature. <laughs> From Okoro and Mel, we can see that the more you meddle with magic, the more it affects you. Mokoro isn't humanly black. Mel has red eyes and her hair is not plain ginger. Plus, we do not know what is going on under the illusions. Same with other types of magic. The green seers become one with the tree with time. We have seen some phrases like Borok looked so much like his boar that all he lacked was tasks. And in general, the skin changers tend to present characteristics and behavior similar to their animals. In the Adans with Dragon prologue, we are told that people that shift into birds even in their own skins, they sit moony staring up at the bloody blue. So if there were people that used seawater magic as frequently and as strong, kinda like Melisandre, they could have fishy traits, and that would explain why we only have these people in Toad Isle and in Thousand Islands now. Both these groups of people still do sacrifices, as far as we know, very often, and they probably use magic too. Add changes that could be their own doing, as I said before, and you get some pretty unusual looking people. And that leaves the resurrections because this is the weirdest thing, in my opinion. We have people like Aaron and Pat's face, so something is going on because unlike the other people who died and came back, they aren't whites. And the reason they aren't whites is because what happened to them is what happened with Bran, I think, but without the skin change ability and the guidance of the crow. When you die, you get through the door of death. But if you linger long enough, like Bran, who was in a coma, you are in a weird state of limbo where you can see things since apparently when you peek through the door of death, you get the gift of prophecy and visions. The crone peeked through the door and she had visions, Jojen too. Aaron and Pat drowned. An average person can last between 1 and 3 minutes before falling unconscious and around 10 minutes before dying. It's a very bad way to go and not a quick one either. So both Aaron and Pat's face stayed in this state for long enough to start seeing stuff and wanted to linger longer so they could not die. Both these people were quite young, Pats was a kid and Aaron was around 16 to 20, so obviously they panicked as Brand panicked while he was falling and before he flew. In a Dance with Dragon prologue, we learn a lot of things about the spirit and skin changing. When Varamir was inside the burning eagle, he said this, when he tried to fly from it, his terror fanned the flames and made them burn hotter. We also learned that men were not meant to leave the earth, Spend too much time in the clouds and you never want to come back down again. And that applies to water, I'm guessing, too. And these are from people who have the ability to move their spirits since birth. When Aaron and Pat's face were drowning, they stayed in limbo enough to start seeing things, but they freaked out, obviously, and they couldn't remove their spirit from their body, which I'm guessing is what happens when someone is dying. At least, this is what I have got from the things we learned in the novels. Varamir had fire all around him and couldn't pass, since, according to Mel, fire has all the attributes people associate with fire in various cultures and mythologies. Fire is considered to be an agent of purity and a symbol of righteousness and truth, and one reason for burning witches was that they couldn't escape since fire was holy. This is pretty much what we see here. Varamir couldn't escape easily because of the fire. Pats and Aaron didn't have fire all around them, but they did have something else that is considered magical and is used to purify, both in real life and in the novels. Salt. Salt has long held an important place in religion and culture. It is a necessity of life and was a mineral that was used since ancient times in many cultures as a seasoning, a preservative, a disinfectant, 
a component of ceremonial offerings and as a unit of exchange. Even the notion of holy water most likely started from salt water, since it is a good solution to use to disinfect and treat wounds. In the novels, seawater is considered holy by the Ironborn, and there is also the salt and bread custom. The custom of serving bread and salt to guests is a reoccurring reference in the books. It is a welcome ritual that serves not only as a Westerosi tradition of hospitality, but also as a formal assurance of guest right, a sacred bond of trust and honor guaranteeing that nobody in attendance, hosts and guests alike, shall be harmed. Violating the guest right is considered among the highest moral crimes. And there is the wall too, which not only has salt all over it to help with the ice, but the melting ice itself have been described as salty too. And the wall is a very strong magical barrier. So maybe Aaron and Pat's face didn't have the fire all over them to stop them from getting out of their body, but they did have salt water all around them. And they were also panicking, like Bran, who was while he was falling, but unlike Bran, they didn't have guidance, most likely, and they for sure remember the way they died too, so it makes sense why they went mad, along with being able to see the future. In general skin changing, literal, like Arya's, or even just an out-of-body experience, seems to be a dangerous thing, and the person needs to be careful, extreme emotion while doing it, seem to make the whole experience very traumatic and damaging. Pretty much this is what I think is going on with the watery resurrections. The salt around them holds the spirit inside their body and they panic enough to fly, like Bran. They swim. And if this is the case, no shit they are not okay mentally after, since they undergo all this while having a panic attack. And on top of that, they see some serious shit in visions. And we know from the House of the Undying and all the underground mazes that looking where you're not supposed to look can make you go mad. Also, it could explain the drowning of the followers of the Drowned God too, since it could be quite useful, I'm guessing, if one of all those people stayed connected and keeps out having vision after the resuscitation. This is it for the Under the Sea stuff we have in the novels. I hope you people were not disappointed with a not very conventional theory about the underwater things, but from what we know about magic, it is the most logical explanation in my opinion. If you enjoyed the video, press a like, subscribe to the channel if you haven't, and comment whatever you want to comment. Until the next one, bye!